So entering retreat, entering refuge, entering Dhamma, entering yourself. I often use the word practice with reference to what we're doing. Actually, the more common word is enter. It gives, like the, uh, you see the epithets of the Sangha Supati Panno, Jupati Panno. Panno means it's to do with entering. It's those who have entered, thoroughly entered into the Good, the good, there's no, the worthy. Ujupatipano, mm. those who have completely, thoroughly gone into, committed to, the straight, the upright. Nyaya, mm. patipano, pati means thorough, thoroughly gone into, um, the nyaya, um, the knowingness. Samichi, mm. patipano, those who have thoroughly gone into, entered. Samichi, even the integrity. This is the epithets of the committed practitioners, those who follow the Dhamma, those who enter into the Dhamma, enter into the good way. This term is used. Gives a slightly different nuance to how we consider what we're doing. There's a certain, you know, a certain moving into rather than making something happen. We establish certain criteria, certain platforms, certain frameworks, certain reference points, and then we move into it, fully give ourselves into it, enter into it. Said one should make the effort to enter into right view. Make the effort to enter into right view. Mm. Having entered into it, you establish your sati is based upon that right view. Uh, and what is this right view? Mm. Very simply speaking, the results of good, helpful, fulfilling, skillful actions, thoughts, intentions, words give rise to beautiful, fulfilling results. Mm. Right view. Uh, so we enter into that stream, that training. Uh, it's very immediate. Mm. And you have to make an effort for it because the tendency is for our minds to kind of drift off into, well, I can't do this, or I've got to do that, or not this, or oh dear, you know. Into the problems, we enter into our suffering. <laughs> Without the resources to transform it. Suffering has to be understood, but not entered into. <laughs> you enter into the good way. From there, you can review dukkha, its causes and conditions, uh, and begin to uh, shift those causes and conditions. Establish mindfulness, bearing things in mind, 
most important thing to bear in mind is right view. Uh, so our attitudes and intentions have got a firm, very simple, pragmatic basis. And this, uh, this is a matter of heart. Chitta, intention. So these aren't particular, you know, features that we focus on. These are heart inclinations that we arouse and recollect and dwell upon, linger upon, bear in mind, make much of, absorb into. So they, they become the foundations for the heart, and the heart is what leads the Dhamma, leads us in, leads our practice. And the Buddha, in his transformation, uh, found the best way to enter into this more deeply and fully was through the body. He had practiced, uh, as you're probably well aware, practiced with other teachers who taught immaterial states. And the way to immaterial states, such as the realm of nothingness, the realm of infinite space, the realm of neither perception, non-perception, these immaterial states, and he was able to attain these. So he was a very skilled practitioner in that respect. And he said, yeah, he could do it, but it didn't arrive at a transformation. Kind of transformation that gave him a deep assurance. So he said, just stop all that. Let's go back to this very experience of incarnation and embodiment. And through this process of embodiment, uh, sensing there's an aspect of body embodiment that is uh, bright, uh, transformative, and it can be found within breathing. Hmm. And the story, the account he has is entering into this is agreeable, pleasant, not associated with sensuality, not a sense object, but uh, something that suffuses the entire body. And entering into that, he entered into these states called jhana, absorptions, and cleaned and purified body and heart. And from there, that was the platform from which he could use insight to understand processes of clinging, becoming, suffering and stress. And that's his path, like that. Entering into mindfulness, using that, and that entering into samadhi. samadhi. And these are really useful just to recognize this because, you know, it, it, it's very obvious in many respects, it's so obvious that we have a body. And yet there's something subtle about it that we don't really notice. Mm. Mm. And so in, in the Buddha's presentation, this is fairly clearly delineated. He said the external aspects of the body, that which are discernible through the senses, tactile, visual, 
uh, tactile and visual aspects that we call body. And uh, these can arise. We can sense those. We can sense, we can look around, see shapes and forms. In various conditions, we can also recognize our own body externally, tactile. That which happens to it. Mm. Touch, pressure, sensation, mm. transitory, changing, very much afflicted by cold and heat, by insect bites, and so on, aging, sickness, death, degeneration of the tissues, and around which this object, a source of passion and vanity, anxiety and fear, comparisons and contrasts, people experience themselves as being bound into it without really ever actually knowing it thoroughly. And right within this is also the internal aspect of the body, which doesn't mean the liver and the spleen, it means the the dynamic uh, energy system of the body. Mm. So if you like, and these two are quite close together, when you touch or you touch something, you get an internal shiver of some kind. Something lights up. One is aroused, one is irritated, one is moved. Internally, external aspects of the body are very close. But it's the internal aspects that are uh, immediately connected to the heart. When you get that internal aspect of the body feeling aroused or anxious or frightened or irritated you get heart emotion in fact the two are synonymous emotion arises from this bodily resonance so it's pretty crucial pretty central to the liberation from at least from afflictive states and the acknowledgement of skillful heart states hearts skillful heart states gives rise to a bright resonance and these can be generated and dwelt upon and lingered to the point whereby these bright states um, suffuse the entire body and mind to, to the point in which physical sensations are pretty much um, just on the sidelines. They're not really dominant anymore. This inequality begins to flood through all that. And the Buddha recommended this. Uh, because then with that the heart is not agitated, it's comfortable. And you enter into that. Entering into is called samadhi. Enter. You don't do samadhi, you enter it. And this helps to transform how we you know, you consider these common references. See when you use a word like samadhi as you translate it as concentration, which is not a bad word, but it does give rise to the sense I should concentrate. And that is not what one does. Well, maybe one does, but that isn't what the Buddha did. <laughs> he did talk about concentrating his heart, but it's very much like the concentrating the heart's meaning one becomes resolved. 
this is what I want to do. One has a clear sense of purpose. One has a clear sense of motivation. One is not distracted in one's resolve, one's one's um, perspectives. It's just samadhi The heart is brought to singleness. Uh, and this is ekagata, another, another word that's used. And this is about heart, chitta. Now, if we, it's important to get this because if you see these words are used in terms of the external mind, they become objects of attention. And they're not objects of attention, they're objects of intention. <laughs> Two are rather different. Yeah. So one-pointedness of attention would mean focusing on a particular discrete sense object, which can be done. And there's certain benefits in that. Uh, but this, this is different from samadhi. Samadhi happens when one's heart is happy, glad, settled. That's how it's defined. And so in the Buddhist scriptures, you don't see the Buddha ever recommending anybody to concentrate on anything. He said, you're mindful, mindful to the point in which unskillful intentions and attitudes are freed up. You're mindful to the point when unhelpful clogged energies are released. You're mindful to the point when bright energies are sustained and borne in mind, and then you enter samadhi. It's because there's nothing to not, <laughs> nothing taking you away from it. This is the nature of chitta, heart. As I was saying yesterday, in terms of the uh, what we call the mind, you have the external aspects of the mind which are to do with behavior which we can specify we can direct ourselves towards do's and don'ts internal quality of the mind is not behavior so much as uh, inclination movement uh, where once where one's uh, deep receptivity and so mind also has these two aspects internal external aspect External aspect, when you focus your manovinyana, mind consciousness, on a specific object, such as a sight, or a sound, or a thought, or a tactile sensation, you can do that. Internal aspect is called chitta. And the difference is that mano, manovinyana, perceives objects, discrete objects. Chitta doesn't experience objects, you experience movement, experience states, contracted state, uncontracted state, distracted state, collected state, bright state, experiences qualities and movements. These qualities and movements. So the chitta is caught, held, gathered, uplifted or constricted by particular moving energies. These energies are called sankhara, formative energies, citta-sankhara. This is the way the language describes experience, and this is the way we should uh, consider it. Uh, 
And the kind of attention that you use to contemplate sankhara is much more open and spacious and receptive than the kind of attention you would use to focus on a particular sight, sound or touch, which is much more limited. In fact, it's distinctly limited and it's supposed to be limited to get that specific detail into attention. Well, with movements and energies, you don't really want a limited attention. You want attention to be quite flexible and open to get the fullness of what's happening as something arises and moves through, like water, you know, a flow. So your attention is pretty open, and yet there's a theme there, feeling a sense of something moving through, such as an emotion which moves It's not the detail that counts, it's the movement that counts. Obviously, emotions have a feeling to them, but the most significant thing is where they go and how they travel. They delight, soothe, arouse, constrict, (laughs) flare, cascade, and so on, what they do. And um, this is the citta sankara, the formative energy of heart. And heart is very much involved with and carried by all that. So we have to enter this realm. How to enter it without getting swept away by all that? Well, it's where the internal aspect of the body is brought to the fore, kaya sankara. Kaya sankara is defined as breathing in, breathing out. There are other ways in which it's also referred to, such as the unskillful bodily energy, such as that which you would associate with anger or worry or depression or anxiety, where you feel your body starting to knot up, tangle, burn, get crushed. You get these somatic impressions. But breathing in and breathing out is considered to be skillful kaya sankara, skillful bodily formative energy or skillful bodily formation or fabrication or number of words they use for that. Um, this beauty of it is because the kaya, the internal body, the internal mind, run together, the theme is that if you can attune to the fullness of in and out breathing, it's possible that the soothing, suffusive qualities of those energies, the movements of those, can still gladden, untangle, brighten, clear, quality of emotion, the citta-sankara. And the result of this is called piti, piti sukha, happiness and ease. And this is entering into samadhi.
as it is said, you don't get to the end of suffering. The Buddha says you don't get to the end of suffering until you get to the end of the world. What is this world that you must travel through? It's within this very body, with its perceptions and consciousness and mind, is the beginning of the world, the world and the ending of the world and the way to the ending of it. What is the world in which we do not wish to be born again? It's not planet Earth. It's the territory of your psychosomatic domain, right? Which is a nice technical piece of jargon to refer to this embodied state where the heart and the body, the internal aspects are merging, flowing, co-arising, crystallizing, triggering each other. This is the world right there. (laughs) This is where the anxiety lives or the feeling of neglect lives, or the abused senses live, or the heart joyfulness lives. This is the territory. And everything, this is the territory which goes deep and goes far through which one travels, uh, often in a confused way, not really making purposeful journeys, but actually bouncing off it into external matters. so this is this is the territory and the buddha says how many years how many lifetimes you've been traveling across this territory weeping and wailing as you go haven't you had enough of it by now (laughs) this is the territory the sankara territory and yet with the stilling of these sankara The stilling of these is the relinquishment of the form territory that we assume ourselves to be, the upadi. And with the relinquishment of that, the ending of craving, nibbana, the deathless. Okay, this is a sketch. A few relevant points. As we come into our retreat time, we're really trying to map out uh, and Obviously, we've all come with a certain sense of purpose. I've come here to help out, give some teachings, offer guidance. That's my purpose. And I guess your purpose is to clear, to strengthen, to refresh, to deepen, to clear what's been obstructive, to deepen into what's wholesome and skillful and to enjoy the fruits of that. One should kind of keep remembering that purpose. I imagine something like that's the case for you. So you take that purpose, become one-pointed in that purpose, uh, steady in that, remember it frequently. Uh, Where does that sit? Where does it arise for you? How does it express itself in your waking moment, in your daily life, in your ongoing, uh, in your last waking moments of the day, how does that quality express itself in you? Can you listen to it? Can you remember it? And not get too lost in the details of circumstance. As we come into retreat, I'm sure there will be all kinds of... uh, energies and thoughts and memories that we have to come to terms with. 
And I guess one of the themes in a, in a retreat situation is all these unfinished business, people, job, work, global situation, politics. How much do I, how much do I process? How much of this is irrelevant? Yeah. I put aside my phone, cut off communication still. What's there? What does my mind keep returning to? What does my heart still keep lingering in? And rather like when you, you what should I focus on even? How should I focus? Well, the theme is if you enter into the full embodied sense, it will begin to filter out some of the details. Don't concern yourself too much about your thoughts, your memories, uh, unfinished business. Let your embodied presence will filter that for you. It's rather like some things are just pretty much circumstantial. It's like stuff that just, you know, touches the edges of your presence. Like, okay, did I finish that? Have I done that? The circumstances that don't go very deep. They will pretty much disappear within a day or so. Other things go a little deeper. Sense of unfinished business and regrets and concerns. Worries about so and so. Goes a little deeper. You need to linger with that and say, what, what is this? Where is the <coughs> way of meeting this? Where is the way of meeting this? Mm -hmm. And so then for this kind of level of uh, one's personal history, people you've had difficulties with, aspects of yourself you have difficulties with, this can be uh, not so much shoved away as sensed and simplified process of deep attention. So all the people who live in your heart, you begin to give them deep attention, say, what does this mean? What is the general, what is the one word that sums up this particular experience? And it could be mm, irritated or missing them, a bit of sadness, a bit of grief or worried. You know. So try to use this Yoni Solmanisikara, careful attention to survey aspects of your world until you can just survey them and simplify just the single word that sums things up. Because the heart only uses one word, whereas the head uses pages of narrative. (laughs) And we've got to go through those pages and say, just give me the one word that sums this up, you know. Then you get straight to the heart. And that's, that's very helpful. Then you're getting one pointed. This is what ekagata as a practice is. Get to the point. Uh, if there was some irritation or sense of lack. At that point, you can begin to um, sense that heart experience and you begin to sense the effect it has in terms of how your body is. This is not necessarily a particular location, 
that might have some location, it could be the tonality of your body, whether it feels bright, open or slightly stiff, rigid, tense, relaxed, something sinking, find yourself sinking down, or agitated, unable to rest, not found a foundation, there's agitation in the body, okay, now you're in the territory. And this is where you begin to acknowledge that and access your breathing process to bring that presence onto his experiences. This is your first level of liberation. Now with breathing as a theme, uh, again, we have an external aspect of breathing. Buddha refers to breathing in, breathing out externally, internally, and both. Externally, we can acknowledge the sensations that occur, perhaps in the nostrils or the abdomen, when you get this regular muscular or air experience. That's often something you can access with a pointing attention. You can keep your attention focused on these points. And that can help to stabilize your attention, stop it running around. The internal aspect is, is what breathing does, what it's about, why it's there. It's, breathing is essentially a process of transforming energy. That's why we breathe. You know, breathing in, you get the brightening, vitalizing effect. And it's shared through the entire body because every part of your body needs it. So it's an overall sense. And breathing out cleans, discharges, stale, uh, constricted stuff. And the stuff that it moves and the stuff that arouses is energy, vitality. You can sense that. You can sense breathing in as a vitalizing experience, breathing out as a soothing, releasing experience. It requires a different kind of attention. It's slightly more open, wider, because we're not really focusing on a point. We're focusing on a whole system, what a whole system does, the movement of it and the tonalities of it. Movement and tonalities. Because these movements and tonalities will have an effect on the movement and tonalities of your suffering and stress. That's the way it works. The two run together. So you don't have to flip from the breathing to the mental state. The breathing and the mental state come together at this energetic level. They're not separate. This is the whole principle of of samadhi, is bringing together, unifying. We have another player in this whole process, which is the thinker. So the full full presentation of sankhara is kaya. Sankhara is the bodily energy. Then 
which is breathing in and breathing out, which suffuses the body. And the citta sankara, which is more to do with the emotional tonality of it. And then the vajra sankara is the verbal process, the articulation, that which you cognize. Aha. The aha. 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 That. There. Listen. Oh. Notice. Aha. That. And um, this also has to be brought in and trained. And the training of the thinking mind is think a little bit and listen a lot. That's a training because unfortunately the case is we think a lot and listen very little. It's more like it. (laughs) It's a very, very noisy world. You know, you go into public domain, it's voices, not much listening. And that can happen in one's own, one gets kind of entrained into that process. Talk a lot, talk quickly, answer quickly, get the right solution, get it happening quickly, add details, add a whole narrative to it, add and fill in all the details, be thorough, think a lot, talk a lot. And in Buddha Dharma we say, no, just a little bit, just enough to go, "Uh uh-huh, what's that? And listen a lot. So that as a training, you point your attention and you open and receive. How is this? You don't necessarily have an answer. You don't have a conclusion. You have a listening. So it's a very open quality to it. It's openness of your thinking mind then easily fits the openness of the heart, the receptivity of the heart. So all these things come together. And we're often having to uh, dismantle some of the ways in which we conceive ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our lives, Buddhism, Dhamma, everything. We've got to Often it's a dismantling job is needed to get to the more direct felt experience. Thinking is secondary, feeling is primary. The felt experience is what happens, the thinking is how we interpret it. We should be careful not to interpret before we've felt it. Not to have the theory before we've actually fully entered into receiving the experience. So you're keeping your thinking pretty simple. No answers, no conclusions, no analysis, just uh-huh, uh-huh. Let the embodiment decide. And it, let the process of the body and the heart unify and let that decide. Let the process of clearing uh, negative emotions, constricted heart states, agitation, tension, let that process of clearing it, let that speak for itself. Listen up, receive it. So, for example, if we are giving attention or proper awareness to a mindfulness of breathing, we'll begin to notice experienced quite a few of these breaths, these breathings, 
and that particular repetitive tide that occurs, the qualities of it, the tonalities of it, the arousal, the brightening effect, and very important, the discharge, the outbreath. Discharge, relax, release, deconstruct, let things end. Very important energy. It's an energy that dismantles, deconstructs. What does it deconstruct? It deconstructs the hardness, the firmness, the conviction of the emotions. I say, oh, I'm this, I can't, I've got to, I'm just, I'm, what do I need, I want, I can't, I am, I'm not, they are, there isn't, it should be, it wouldn't be, I'm nearly there, I'm almost there, I'm never there, that kind of that emotional pressure, just breathing out, <sighs> discharge. Mm-hmm. And which is perhaps not uh, not really a commonly acknowledged feature of our lives. A lot of our lives are about inspiration, action, results, forward, upwards, onwards, ever, more, yes, towards it, more. More effort, higher, better, firmer, clearer. Well, the Buddha talks about the asankata, the deconstructed. It says, his realization, my mind has gone completely deconstructed, visankata. <laughs> it sounds like a breakdown, doesn't it? <laughs> and maybe it was. But the beauty of it is, (laughs) if you follow that process with one breath, you also come to another phase that's absolutely, totally obvious. This is a kind of pause between the out-breath and the in-breath. Well, if, of course, we're very excited or hyper, we don't get the pause things but you can get the body just a bit more relaxed and properly poised into the out breath as that moment things have to turn from breathing out to breathing in and similarly we get to the end of the inhalation things turn from inhalation completes itself then stopping and then turns into an exhalation. Now if we take those so-called pauses as intrinsically part of the breathing process and you give them a little more attention, you'll notice if you give more attention to those momentary pauses, they will begin to lengthen. This is the power of the heart, whatever you give attention to, linger upon, increases, grows greater, 
So if we give attention to a grudge, it becomes bigger. If we give attention to a defect, it magnifies. If we give attention to an object of passion, it becomes more inflamed. If we give attention to something that's cooling and emptying, the cooling, the emptying, grows bigger. Simple process. So we contemplate that movement. You don't force the movement because it happens by itself. You enter into the movement. You don't control it, you don't direct it, you don't have a lot of verbalization around it. You enter into the process of what the body does on an energetic level of energy. It breathes out. And as that pours and it breathes in. Thoroughly knowing this, we are aware of the long process of breathing, the long tide. Covering all that with our mindfulness, bearing it in mind, tuning into that, aware with the attitude of skillful states, where do skillful states arise? Where does uh, yeah, skillful arise? We can find there's a skillfulness in breathing in because it brightens, it inspires. There's a skillfulness in breathing out because it releases. And there's a skillfulness in the pause because it's open. There's a special kind of skillfulness. And it's those pauses that begin to moderate the breathing. They begin to moderate it because the more the attention can go through that whole process and pick that up, the pausing, breathing calms down. As it calms down, the sensations of breathing become more subtle, but the energy of breathing becomes brighter, sharper, clearer, and the textures of the body become softer. Textures of the body and the textures of the emotions become quieter, gentler. This is the process that we enter into. As you're entering into that, by itself it will begin to discard what's irrelevant. Because your heart is picking up the tides, you're entering into those tides, just like you enter into the sea, or you enter into a stream, you enter into a river, you know, you leave your purse on the bank, not because you hate it, but just because you're in the stream now. You know, you leave your house because you're in the stream and you're quite comfortable there. You don't dislike it or reject it. You just put what you carry with you, naturally, will be your heart intentions, yeah, your loving kindness, 
that can go with you. Your sense of upright, virtuous, integrity, that can go with you. So those qualities then are sustained. And actually, through them being sustained, then certain regretfulness or remorse or bitterness begins to dissipate, fade away, because there's no room for that, there's no need for that. So this is mindfulness of breathing in accordance with right view, right purpose. You tune into that quality, it can inform how we understand our bodies and our minds and our hearts. The heart too has an arising, kind of rising up and a releasing. These are experiences you can notice, you feel gladdened, inspired as that quality. And also be releasing of doubt, regret, passion, craving, just soften, relax. You know, follow the breathing and let those unskillful tendencies be sloughed off. And the heart also has an open quality, which is just pure awareness. It's not rising up, it's not inspired, it's not releasing, it's just open. It doesn't do anything. And actually this is probably the most significant piece that is rarely understood, rarely noticed, perhaps even rarely experienced by people who don't cultivate. And yet it's actually the most important bit. (laughs) You might say, very simply speaking, as an immediate reference, what is it that says it's okay to be here? It feels okay. I could get into the, uh, the, but actually, it's okay. There's things I can find fault with, things I wish were otherwise, but I can manage. I'm okay. It's okay. That, that's the sign of an aspect of chitta that isn't about pleasure, pain, pleasant, agreeable, disagreeable. It's just open. And that sign is something to sense. It's not glaring, it's not apparent, it's not obvious. It happens to be the most important thing. That is the sign of the deathless. And our practice process is beginning to move, process and move through the tides of our sankharas, to this still open quality. And the sankaras are stilled, soothed, allayed, not shut off but allayed, stilled, soothed. The movements are quietened. Then you can actually tune in to that property. We can detect it also even in our, th- our thinking mind. So the thinking mind can chatter, it can fight with itself, 
it can go into states of great, oh, I got it, this is it, you know, inspired utterances, thoughts, brilliant conclusions. Oh, yeah, I feel quite inspired and happy with this idea and notion, that's great. Or a terrible, nagging thought. But what is it when you can't quite think? This is what Chan, you know, Chan and Zen deal with. The mind that doesn't quite think, can't quite think. It's that uh, before the thought begins. We might notice the moment of where you can't form a conclusion. And the mind stops, thinking mind opens. Notice that. Be one who is wary of conclusions, of fixed views. As we chant in the Buddha's words of loving kindness, by not holding to fixed views, conclusions, summaries, analysis, certainties, holding to those. What does the thinking mind do? It struggles, I'd imagine. Struggles. Enter into the uncertainty. Acknowledge the uncertainty. Question one's assumptions, one's convictions, one's stories about oneself and others. Question them. Begin to open to the underlying emotional hunger, the certainty, mm. the future, the past, the world, myself, is this. Mm. Not sure. What's holding that together? Breathing in, breathing out, pausing, entering into it. This is the way we enter retreat. Mm.